Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, well, howdy, WCC. It's good to see everybody. Um, let me give you the preaching schedules for the next month or so. Uh, so for the next three weeks, I think, I'm going to be finishing up my sermon series on culture and Christianity. So next week, we're going to be looking at, at marriage and sexuality, and then after that, homosexuality, and then after that, transgenderism. So we're going to finish with a, a flurry of uh, controversial stuff. Then after that is November 27th, and that's the first Sunday of Advent, and so we're going to have a wonderful season of a bunch of guys preaching from uh, the end of November, actually all the way into early, early January. And then in early January, I'm going to pick up my series that I left off in Hebrews back in June or whatever it was. I didn't expect this to go on this long, but anyway, it's been good. So, uh, so that's the plan. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. It was our corporate reading. We're going to get there in, in a while. But I did just want to just reiterate something that Greg said about this being Reformation Sunday, about how Luther nailed these 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg in 1517, October 31st. And, um, and as Greg said, what Luther didn't know is he was going to kick off the Protestant Reformation, which is one of the most significant events in world history. So we're a Protestant church with our heritage in the Reformation. And so on this Reformation Sunday, we want to focus on the truths of the Reformation. And uh, although I was thinking about this, this is not explicitly has to do with Christianity and culture. One of the things that a friend pointed out is that kind of what we're doing in this culture and Christianity series is focusing on the basics, like last time I preached on the Trinity. So getting the foundation set really is the best way to fight against, against the culture. So this is actually, it, it isn't specifically a part of the Culture and Christianity series, but it, but it is one of those foundational things. Because what we're going to be talking about today is just really one word, it's justification. So the title of the sermon today is Justification, and we'll see it's Justification Declared Righteous by God, okay? So that's the word that we're going to be looking at today. And I'm going to give you a basic definition of justification. I think we have a slide, we may have had that up. Yeah, this is from the New City Catechism. And so it says, what does justification mean? In the, in the New City Catechism, it talks about justification and sanctification, but we're focusing on sanctification. And so justification means our declared righteousness before God. So we could say this, that justification is God declaring a person to be righteous. Okay, so if you're justified, then you have been declared righteous by God. And we'll, I'm going to flesh that out. You're gonna, I hope you can see how important that is after, when we're done. Let me say this before I get into it. I am going to be offering a pretty severe criticism of the Roman Catholic Church this morning, okay? And especially its teaching on justification. I'm going to be pretty rough on Rome this morning. But I want to make it clear this is not a personal attack. Um, but what I found is understanding justification in particular, understanding justification by faith alone, is just so important for us as believers, so the Protestant teaching is that we're justified by faith alone. So faith alone, the Latin term is sola fide, faith alone. And it, what it means is it's not faith plus works. And one of the best ways I've found to understand justification is to be able to see Rome's misunderstanding 
of justification. So as I said, I'll be offering a pretty severe criticism of Roman Catholicism, but it's not a personal attack. I have friends who are Roman Catholic that I love and respect, so this is not against any one person, okay? All right, let me tell you something about that, that happened when I was a kid. I would think about things. I don't know if everybody did this, but I would think about certain things when I was a kid, and I was thinking about the issue of like who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. And instinctively, and this is the way we all are, instinctively I came up with this works sort of salvation, okay? And here's what I thought, and this is kind of what bothered me. I would think to myself, okay, clearly the most evil person in history is in hell, right? And so my mind, I think of Adolf Hitler. So I think Hitler is clearly in hell. And then I think also the most righteous person that I could think of is clearly in heaven. And the person that I've thought of, this is like 70s, 80s, I thought of Mother Teresa. Okay, Mother Teresa devoted her life to helping the, the, the poor in Calcutta, India. She was a Roman Catholic nun. And so I think, okay, so, so Mother Teresa's in heaven and Hitler's in hell. But here's what began bothering me about this. I started working this out. And I started thinking, okay, where exactly does God draw the line, right? Where does he draw the line? Because no matter where you draw the line, if it's based on works, at some point you're going to have a line here and there's going to be a person above the line who goes to heaven, right? And there's going to be a person immediately below the line who goes to hell, no matter where you draw the line. And I started thinking about the person here just above the line is probably 0.0001% better than this person who goes to hell. And so I started thinking, how could that be that, that some, somebody's eternal salvation or damnation is based on 0.0001 whatever percent of difference? You see what I'm saying? Because the worst person on the heaven list gets eternal life, and the best person on the hell list is damned forever. And so I started thinking, that just did not make sense to me. It seemed very arbitrary to me. And what I was struggling with Really, and this is the most important question we'll ever face. And I'd even say that to kids. Kids, the most important question you'll ever face is this. How can I be reconciled to God? How can I be in a right relationship with God? How can I be right with God? How can a sinful person like me, I know I do bad stuff. You know you do bad stuff and think bad thoughts. How could I be made right with a holy God? It's the most important question we'll ever face. And this is what justification is dealing with. So look at Romans 3. If you've got your Bibles, look at Romans chapter 3. We've already read it, but look at Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Paul writes this, and this is God speaking through Paul. That's one of the things I want to stress. Is anytime we, I've talked about this in Hebrews. Anytime we open up the Bible... The Holy Spirit is talking to us. So let's hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Verse 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. We fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified. I've already said what that means. We'll talk more about it. But we're justified. We're declared righteous by God. And this is a gift of grace. Okay? So this is what justification is addressing. How a sinful person 
can be reconciled to God. So this is massively important. The Protestant reformers understood that justification is not a minor issue. Justification is central to Christianity. It's central to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Because again, it answers the question, how can I be reconciled to a holy God? Because we're, we're all, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So it answers the question, how can I get right with God? So again, the, the basic definition that I want you to have of justification is God declaring us to be righteous. So whenever the writers in Scripture are talking about, just, about salvation, and they use the word justification, what they're talking about is God declaring a person to be righteous. Now, I'm not going to get into huge amount of detail on this, but I do want to stress this and acknowledge this. That the Greek word for justification, it's like dikaiosin or dikaiosis, something like that. My Greek is terrible. But this Greek word can mean either, in salvation, it means to declare righteous, or in some cases it can mean to show to be righteous or demonstrate to be righteous. And the only way you can tell the difference is looking at the context, okay? Now, again, when we're talking about salvation, what it means is declared righteous. But there are contexts where this word shows up as demonstrate to be righteous. So, for example, there's a passage in James chapter 2, and Roman Catholics point to this all the time. James 2, 24, where James says that a person, literally, he says this, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So the Roman Catholic will point to James 2, 24 and say, see, we're justified by works, by our works. But the thing is, when you look at the context of James 2, and I'd encourage you to read it, what, what James is talking about is how faith is demonstrated, how faith is shown. James is not talking about how we're saved. He's not saying we're saved by works. He's addressing the issue of genuine faith. So he says faith, quote unquote, faith is not real faith if there are no works. It's a dead faith. A faith with no works, and you know, a faith that makes no difference in a person's life, that's not real faith. And that's what James is addressing. So when James says that a person is justified by works, what he's saying is a person's genuine faith is demonstrated by works. In fact, he specifically says right before that in James 2.18, he says, I will show you my faith by my works. So that's what he's talking about, showing genuine faith, demonstrating real faith. Okay. So again, that's how James is using the word justified. And I just wanted to get that out there so you don't think I, I don't know anything about James too. Okay. But again, anytime the Bible's talking about how a person is saved and the word justification is used, it's talking about God declaring a person to be righteous. It's a legal act. It's, it's a legal declaration where God declares this person to be righteous. It's the opposite of the word condemnation. So if you think about the word condemnation, justification is the opposite. So condemnation is like a judge saying to a person on trial, you're guilty, you're condemned. While justification is like a judge saying, you're not guilty. But it's actually even better than that because justification, as I said, is God saying, not only are you not guilty, you're righteous. You're perfectly righteous in my sight. That's what God is saying. So again, justification and condemnation are opposites. If you're in Romans, flip forward to Romans chapter 8. Look at, let's look at Romans chapter 8. Look at 33 and 34, Romans 8. And here, the reason I'm showing you this is just to show that justification is the opposite of condemnation. You'll see that from the context 
of what Paul writes here in Romans 8. So in 33, Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? And look what he says. These two, these two con- contrasting statements immediately. He says, it is God who justifies who is to condemn. Okay? So God justifies, God declares a person to be righteous, and then Paul says, who is to condemn? So again, justification and condemnation are opposites. So what, is, what this means is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I declare you to be perfectly righteous. He says, you're perfectly righteous in my sight. So justification is a legal act by God. Okay, let's talk about Roman Catholicism. What is the Roman Catholic view on justification? Rome says, yes, God does declare a person to be righteous, but, and this is the most important part, in Roman Catholicism, justification means that God makes a person righteous first, and then, because that person now is actually righteous, then God declares them to be righteous. And if you read Roman Catholic teaching on this, the main thrust of justification is that God makes a person to be righteous. That's the main thrust of justification, that that person is actually righteous. Now, in church history, let me give you kind of a background on this. Here's how this issue of justification came, became confusing, and a lot of it has to do with Augustine. Augustine is one of the most influential theologians in church history. He lived from late 300s, early 400s. Well, Augustine and the theologians around that time, they were experts in Latin. But Augustine knew almost no Hebrew and almost no Greek. So when Augustine is reading a Bible, he's reading a Latin translation of the Bible. Well, in Latin, there is no good word to describe declaring someone to be righteous. It's just the deficiency of Latin. There's no word to talk about that. It's the same way in English. We really don't have a word, a single word, to clearly show that someone is declaring a person to be righteous. So when the Latin translators came up with this, saw this Greek word, dikaiosis or whatever it is, when they saw that word, they plugged in this word, Latin word, justificare. Justificare, it looks like justificare. And that's where we get the word justification. Well, in Latin, justificare means to make righteous or to make just. So when Augustine is reading his Latin translation of the Bible and he sees justificare, what he thinks in his mind is to make righteous. That's the Latin word he sees, and they developed this whole theology out of that word, and the theologians that followed him did that. And it's just sad because they didn't know what the Greek word meant. So the Roman Catholic doctrine of justification is based on a misunderstanding of a word. And then based on that, then they've made up other stuff, for example, like their unbiblical doctrine of purgatory. So they've come up with that based on this, okay? Now here's the thing. Many of you are sitting there thinking, who cares? Like, honestly, who cares? Declared righteous, made righteous, I see no difference at all. Who cares? Well, here's why it matters, okay? Here's why it matters. Because you can never do enough works to become perfectly righteous in God's sight. That's why it matters. It matters because this is the difference between heaven and hell. That's why this matters. And what I want you to see is we're going to talk more about that. You can never do enough. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But what I want you to see is that, that legal declarations make a difference even in our lives, even in our day-to-day lives. Legal declarations can change lives. I'm going to give you one example. I'm going to ask my wife to come up. 
She's going to be my prop. I'm going to embarrass her this morning. Thank you, sweetie. So, so 26 years ago, right, 1996, June of 1996, I can't remember the date, I'm sorry, June, what is it, 20, 15th. June 15th, she didn't even know, so, it's, so we're good. All right, so, so 1996, we're getting married, and we are, we're not standing before the congregation because I had just gotten out of the hospital with a blood clot, so we actually sat down during our, our wedding ceremony. So we're, we're there and we're exchanging vows, and I sing You Are So Beautiful by Joe Cocker. Didn't I sing that? You're everything I hope for, everything I need. You are so beautiful to me. Right? No, I didn't sing that. I did not sing that. But we did exchange vows. We did exchange vows. So we're standing there. We're standing there exchanging vows. And she says, I do, and I say, I do. Now, let me ask you this. Don't answer because it's a trick question. As soon as we both say, I do, are we legally married? The answer is no. Do you know that? We're not married. You know when we're married? When the preacher says, I now pronounce you. He says, by the authority, by, as a minister of the gospel, and by the power vested in me, by the authority of the state of Georgia, whatever it is, he says, I now pronounce you. Man and wife. I declare that you are man and wife. The moment that the words leave his mouth, he says, I now pronounce you man and wife. That second, we're changed. That second, her standing changes. She went from being a single woman to a married woman. I went from being a single man to a married man. The second he says, I now pronounce you. That legal declaration matters. Okay, Our standing our standing before the community, our standing before God changes when he makes that legal declaration, okay? That's why it matters. All right, you can go sit down. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. All right, so what I'm saying is that these legal declarations matter. We can see that. It matters. Here, let me give you another example. Let's say you're arrested, right? You're accused of some crime. Let's say you're accused of a felony and you're on trial. And you've been locked up in jail awaiting trial. Now, you, the trial happens. The evidence is presented. Closing arguments are made by the attorneys. The jury then is presented with the evidence. They go out to deliberate. When the jury returns, you're on trial for a felony. This is serious. When the jury returns, the foreman of the jury stands up and he says, We, the jury, find the defendant... Now, the next words that come out of his mouth are pretty important, right? In your life, whatever he now says is going to change your life forever. It is a legal declaration. And you're standing before the community and before the state, the government, is going to change based on the next words that come out of his mouth. If he says, we, the jury, find the defendant guilty... Your standing now changes, and you are a convicted criminal, and you're going to prison. What if he says this? He says, we, the jury, find the defendant not guilty. Your standing changes. You're an innocent citizen. That moment, the moment the words come out of his mouth, as soon as he says, you're no longer the accused, right? You're no longer a criminal defendant. Your standing has changed. You are a free citizen. You're no longer in lockup. You're an innocent citizen. That's why these declarations matter. It's the same with God. 
It's the same with God, except now we're talking about eternity. We're talking about your soul. When God declares a person to be righteous, when God says you are perfectly righteous, as soon as the words leave God's mouth, your standing changes, your standing before him changes. You go from being condemned, you go from being an enemy of God, you go from that, and as soon as God makes the declaration that you're perfectly righteous, your standing changes. And in that moment, you are righteous in the eyes of God. You're now his beloved child. He loves you. You're in right standing with him. You're now reconciled to God. And that will never change. That will never change. You go from being condemned and guilty before God, and now your standing is transformed by his declaration. You go from being his enemy to being loved and accepted and righteous in his sight. Now, here's the question. God declares a sinful person to be righteous, but how can he do that? On what basis can God do that? If he's going to declare me righteous, and I'm not actually righteous, if he's going to declare me to be righteous, do I actually have to be righteous? That's the question. And Roman Catholicism says that the Protestant view on justification, they they call it a legal fiction. Because Rome says God can only declare a person to be righteous if that person is actually righteous. Righteous in fact, they say. But as Protestants, we say the Bible is actually very clear on this. God can justify someone. He can declare someone to be righteous. Not because of that person's own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of another. A righteousness that is credited to someone's account. Luther called this an alien righteousness. That is a righteousness outside of us. Okay? It's a righteousness that's not mine, but it is counted to my righteousness. And we see this in places like Romans 4. So if you go to flip back to Romans chapter 4, Paul talks about this all the time in places like Romans and Galatians. If you look at Romans 4, look at verse 3. Romans 4, verse 3. He's talking about Abraham. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Counted to him, credited to his account, to Abraham. So here's the question. Whose righteousness is counted or credited to Abraham? You see what I'm asking? Abraham believed God and through Abraham's faith, God credited righteousness to Abraham's account. Where did this righteousness come from? Whose righteousness is it? Is it Abraham's? Was Abraham perfectly righteous? Read read Genesis and see if Abraham is perfectly righteous, right? Spoiler alert, he wasn't. (laughs) He was not a perfectly righteous man. So whose righteousness is it? It's God's righteousness. It's, it's, we could say it's God in Christ's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. If you go to, again, in Romans, I'm flipping around Romans. Go to Romans 3. Look at Romans 3.21. Romans 3.21. It says, but now the righteousness of who? God. Righteousness of God has been manifested, revealed, displayed, apart from the law, apart from obeying the law. Look at verse 22. The righteousness of God, there it is again, that comes how? By what means? 
through faith in Jesus Christ for whom? Who gets credited with God's righteousness? All who believe. That's right, all who believe. It's God's righteousness. It's God's righteousness in Christ. People like Abraham, you and me, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Christ's perfect righteousness is credited to our account. God counts the righteousness of Christ as our righteousness. This means in God's sight, we are considered righteous. That means when God looks at me and he looks at you, if you put your faith in Jesus, he sees the perfect beauty and righteousness and goodness of Jesus. He sees that. If you look at, at Romans 3.20, this is in God's sight. Look at, this, look at how Paul stresses this. He said, for by works of the law, we're going to talk more about this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, in the sight of God. So I hope you really hear this. You can't do any works to be righteous in God's sight, in your own. You can only be righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. If you put your faith in Jesus, God looks at you and in his sight, he considers you to be perfectly righteous, to have fulfilled all the requirements of the law. That's what he sees when he sees you because he sees Jesus. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. This is Philippians 3.9. I think we have a slide of it. Philippians 3.9. The ladies have been going through Philippians. I'll begin with a few words that are actually from the end of verse 8. And Paul says this. God through Paul says this. He says, Paul says that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul says, I can never have righteousness based on my own obedience by obeying the law. But that which comes, how? How can I get credited for this righteousness? Through faith in Christ. The righteousness from myself, from my own good works? No, it's the righteousness from God. From God, and it depends on faith. So in justification, when God declares someone to be righteous, this is key, we're passive. We're passive in this. God is the one who's doing the declaring. Righteousness is credited to our account. It's a one-time event. We're passive, and righteousness is credited to us. And this happens the moment you put your faith in Jesus. Again, we're passive. God is the one who does the justifying, not me. But in in the Roman Catholic view, justification is a process, and we're active in it. We work. They say we work at justification. You achieve justification because in their view, The process is the process of us becoming righteous. But this is sanctification. Again, if you look at the New City Catechism question, sanctification is us growing in holiness, becoming more righteous. But Rome gets sanctification confused with justification. Now, Roman Catholic theologians acknowledge that faith is involved. So don't ever say that Rome is opposed to faith. They acknowledge that faith is involved. But Rome teaches that we gain and maintain righteousness through our own works combined with faith. So they say works and faith together. So the Roman Catholic teaching is that justification happens again through works and faith. Our works, they say, our works are involved in justification according to Rome because justification, because what they say is in justification we are actually made righteous. That's the Catholic teaching on R.C. Sproul said this, he said, in the Roman Catholic view, God will never pronounce a person just or righteous until 
by the help of God's grace in Christ, that person actually becomes righteous. And then Sproul asks this, and I'll ask it of you. If God were to judge us tonight, what would he find? Would he find sin in our lives? When you go to sleep tonight, if you died in your sleep tonight, and you woke up facing God on his throne, would he find that you are perfectly righteous? Or would he find sin in your life? Do you think you can do enough works to get rid of all sin and to achieve perfect righteousness before God? Rome says yes. Rome says yes. Rome says you can do enough works combined with faith. You can do enough to be justified in the sight of God. Is that what the Bible says? No. God tells us repeatedly that no one can be justified by obedience to the law. If you look at Romans 3.20 again, if you're in Romans 3, look at Romans 3.20. For by works of the law, I don't know how Paul could say it any clearer, but listen. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. This is Galatians 2.16. Greg's been going through Galatians. Galatians 2.16. We may have a slide of it. Look at what Paul says again. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. <laughs> Listen to what he said. He keeps stressing it. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. How could Paul make it any clearer? Actually, how could God through Paul make it any clearer? Right? So my question is, are you going to believe God? Or are you going to believe Rome? That's the question. And you've got to decide. This is Galatians 3.11. Paul says it again. No one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So God, through Paul, hammers it over and over again. Why does he do that? Because God knows our tendency is to think that we can be reconciled to him by being a good person. That's why he does this, by doing good deeds. And yes, in our natural state, we may tip our hat to faith, but ultimately we think if we're good boys and girls, that God has to reconcile us to himself. We think if I do good, then God has to recognize that and save me. And that's false. It's absolutely false. Now, here's the question. Are good works important? Yes, they are. Do works matter? Yes. Obedience to God's commandment matters. But the good works are a result of your genuine faith. The good works flow from being justified, from being saved. As, as we talked about James, James 2. If you have genuine faith, this will be demonstrated by your life, by your good works. But we don't do good works in order to be saved. We show that our faith is real through our works, but the works do not lead to justification. Listen, a person who is truly justified will want to obey the Lord out of love. And that person will want to grow in personal holiness. But God does not wait for us to be holy before he justifies us. We're justified, we're reconciled to God because of the righteousness of Jesus credited to our account through faith. And then as a result of God justifying, that, us, God justifying us, we want to live into that, right? We want to please our triune God who saved us. I talked about the Trinity last time I preached. We want to pl please our Father who loves us. We want to please our Savior Jesus who died for us. We want to please the Holy Spirit who gave us spiritual life. 
Also, and this is huge, the fact that God justifies us through faith, and this is a one-time event, here's what this means. And at this point, I really want to weep for joy because it means we are secure in our relationship with God forever, forever. It means we are guaranteed to be with Christ forever. If you put your faith in Jesus, then you're justified. Now listen, you will never be more secure in his love than you are right now. You will never be more secure in his love right, than you are right now. And this is the beauty and freedom and joy of the gospel. And you can see this beauty and freedom and joy, especially when you contrast it with the teaching from the Roman Catholic Church on justification. And I'm not making this up because Rome says that God, as I said, that, that God will not declare a person to be righteous until he actually is righteous. But the problem is, if we have to maintain our own righteousness, how can we ever be assured of our salvation? And Rome basically says that. Rome basically says, you can't be sure of your salvation. That's what Catholicism teaches. At the Council of Trent, the Catholic leaders said that no one knows with certainty if he's achieved salvation. So one Roman, Roman Catholic theologian put it this way. He said, no one can know with certainty whether or not he has fulfilled all the conditions which are necessary for achieving justification. Notice the phrase, achieving justification, work. you got to work at it. Again, you can see Rome thinks of justification as your achievement, you achieving perfect righteousness. And if you're Roman Catholic and you take this seriously, what this means is this. You can have no assurance that God is ever pleased with you. You can never, because Rome says you can't really know if you stand condemned or not. But the Bible says... There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. Rome says you can't be sure if you're saved. But Peter says make your calling and election sure. That's 2 Peter 1.10. The tragic thing about Catholicism is you can never know if you're doing enough. You can never know if you're actually in good standing with God. You can never know. You can never know if God is pleased with you in Roman Catholicism. You can never know if God really loves you. Do your best, try your best, hope your best is enough. But you know what? It might not be enough. And this is the tragedy of Roman Catholicism because it teaches that at the end of your life, you never know. You could die and think God loves you, but you could be wrong. And God may be furious with you because you haven't done enough. You see how horrible this is? See how discouraging and terrible this is? This is why the reformers got so fired up about justification. I mentioned Mother Teresa earlier. The sad thing about Mother Teresa, and you can read this in some of her letters, is that she never had assurance of God's love for her. Never. She thought that maybe God hated her. She just wasn't sure. And I think this is why justification is so serious. Because if Rome is right... If we have to achieve and maintain our own perfect righteousness in order to be saved, then Christianity is a dark religion. I'll tell you that. If Rome is right, Christianity is a scary religion but you, because you can never know if God is looking on you with love or if his wrath remains on you. You can never know if your works are good enough. Rome says, you know what? You may think you're a Christian. You may think you're saved, but God may despise you. You may hate your guts. That's what Rome says. But that's not biblical Christianity. 
Because what we see in the scriptures is joy, is joy and peace and the absolute assurance of God's love for us. It is rock-solid assurance of God's love for us because of what Jesus has done for us. What does the Bible say over and over? His steadfast love endures forever, right? So we talked about in the Trinity, God is a fountain overflowing with love and goodness toward us. He's constantly reaching out to us in love. And I would say this, I'm about to wrap up. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, listen, he's worthy of your complete trust and your love. And you can know with certainty that he loves you. Give your life to him. Cry out to him. See the price that Jesus paid when he went to the cross. He came to us in love, and on the cross, he received in himself the judgment that should have come to me and you. We get his righteousness credited to us, and he did this because he loves his people. So your soul was made for Jesus Christ. You're made for him, to be loved by him forever, and to have assurance of that love, and to praise him for all eternity. This is what you're made for. So give your life to him. And then when you put your faith in Jesus, God will declare you righteous. He will justify you. He will see you as righteous and good for all eternity. And his love for you will never change. And for all of us, this is the beauty of having a correct understanding of justification. This is why Bible words matter, right? Because we can have absolute confidence that when God looks on us, he looks on us with love. He looks on us with tenderness. He looks on us with affection because here's what he sees. He doesn't see our filth and shame. No. When the Father looks on us, he sees us. Yes, it's not like we disappear. He sees us. But he sees that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. There's no more judgment. It's gone. And we don't ever have to worry if we've done enough because Jesus is enough. Jesus is more than enough. He's always more than enough. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we love you and praise you. Lord, thank you for this Bible word justification. Father, thank you that you do declare us righteous. Thank you that we don't have to worry if we're doing enough. I pray your love would just melt hearts today. In justification, you declaring us righteous, you see us, you love us, you declare us perfectly righteous, that'll never change because of what Jesus has done for us. And for folks who have not been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd quicken their hearts, break their hearts, allow them to see their sin, and allow them to see your love and goodness. Lord, please work in hearts. And for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, just help us to just be captivated by your love as we see it in justification. As we see your, 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 your beauty and goodness in declaring us righteous because of how much Jesus loves us and because of what he's done for us. So we praise you, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts, allow us to be people who, who love you. And because of that, we want to reach out and love to other people and just allow us just to have this confidence, no matter what we're going through. No matter what dark night of the soul we may be going through, that we would know that you love us and you've already declared us righteous and you care about us. We're your kids and that will never change. So we praise you and love you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's now the time in our service when we get the joy of taking.